So in, in Zimbabwe, um, I don't know how many of you have traveled around a bit, but there will be many beautiful places that you have been able to see or still can see. One of the most beautiful places around that I often get to see every third week is the Victoria Falls. And we actually become so used to it that we don't really go and see it anymore. You know what I mean? Um, there are other beautiful places. We've got Matopo's just around the corner from here. And, and those of you that have been to Lake Kyle and have been to uh, Wange National Park, beautiful places around. Uh-huh. Thank you for your enthusiasm about that. Just, come on, let's become Zimbabwe is a beautiful place, isn't it? Now, when you go to the Word of God, you also find such similar beautiful places. I'm not talking about Jericho or Jerusalem or Bethlehem. I'm talking about beautiful spiritual places in the Bible. And one of them that the scholars of the Bible have actually called the Himalayas of the Bible is the book of Romans. They say, well, you know, if you, if you really want to take something extremely powerful, packed with incredible depths about who God is and what He's done through us, for us through the, 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 the sacrificial death of Jesus, you, you study the book of Romans. It's just filled with so much beauty. And then they say, as in the Himalaya mountain range, you have this one peak that stands out, the highest of all in the whole world, called Everest. 8848 meters above sea level. By the way, we're 1,300. Get a picture of how high that might be? 8,848 meters above sea level. 1,300 or 400 and below. The point is this, that in the Himalayas of the Bible, where Romans stands out, there's a peak that they say also within the book of Romans that is incredibly remarkable. So much is packed into just that one chapter, and that's Romans chapter 8. And years ago, actually four years ago to the date almost, we started a series called 8848, where we focused on Romans chapter 8. How many of you were still were around then? Anyone? Anyway, gee, i got two hands, i got two hands. Oh, some of you forgotten perhaps. But anyway, so we looked at that for a couple of weeks and, and just studied the beauty of what God says in Romans 8. And there are amazing things that come out in that chapter. Things like, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. It says that we are justified, not by our own works, but by what God does. And, and through His Spirit, He comes to set us free from certain things that keep us back. And so, just Incredible, beautiful things. It says we can actually call him Abba Father because we are his children. We are joint heirs. So if you look at Romans 8, there's just so much. Our objective this morning is not to go through Romans 8. But what I want to say to you, in line with what we have been talking about over the last couple of weeks, which is the person of the Holy Spirit, is that within Romans 8, within the 39 verses of Romans 8, there are 20 references, 20 times the name Holy Spirit is mentioned. How's that? Now, it's not just a mathematical wonder. Oh, wow, it's amazing. He counted. 
He can count. Can you believe it, ladies and gentlemen? No, it's not this. But that within one of these most profound portions of the Bible, that in a sense is kind of like Mount Everest, where if you understand it fully, it's like, God, there's so much in this for me. Holy Spirit appears prominently. There's a lesson for us in that. That if we want to understand the deeper things and, and function in a way that God wants us to function, we cannot understand, we cannot live like that without Holy Spirit. And there's this wonderful portion in Romans 8. If we now there, we've got to go there, isn't it? We're mentioning it and we can't not turn there. So why don't you go with me to Mount Everest, please? We just scale the height quickly. It wasn't an effort. It's never close to what it really looks like. But listen to this in Romans chapter 8, verse 12. It says, So then, brothers, and we always include sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How many of you want to be alive? You are alive at the moment. You want to stay alive. It's going to be very simple. Live by the Spirit. For then this, in verse 14, it says, For all, say with me, all. Say all again, please. Ah, that's good. Sounds great. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Beautiful, isn't it? So it means this, that if Holy Spirit functions in your life and you are led by Him, then you are a true son and daughter of God. One of the wonderful benefits for us is that we can be led by Him. And when we are led by Him, He helps us to put to death the works of the flesh. And so when we are led by Him too, that's when we really actually come alive. So breathing is one thing. Being led by the Spirit is another thing. That really determines your life. I'm not just, I'm alive. I'm alive when the Spirit of God functions in me. That, sir, ma'am, young person, is the true indication that you are alive. When God's Spirit functions in you. And so, I think that's our desire. We're like, God, we want to be led by you. We want to let your spirit function in our lives. And that means I cannot ignore you. Come on. I've got to be aware of you. I cannot brush you aside and, and cannot afford to not, listen to this, be sensitive to you. Therefore, we must get to know him and get to know what works for him and learn what doesn't work for him. It's kind of like somebody special in your life that you, whether it's your spouse or, or whether it's your parents and a good friend and, and you want to make them feel special, you always would really ask, not what works for me when I want them to feel special, I would ask what will work for them to make them feel special, isn't it? So that in order for me to say, well, I really want to give Kilton something that will really bless him. I've got to not ask, not ask the question, what would be helpful for me? It's like when I got, um, the other day, when my wife had a birthday, I bought her a GPS because I thought that's a great gift for her. 
Uh, years ago, when GPSs came out, I thought, geez, I'm going to bless her with a GPS. But it really, no, it wasn't what I did. It's just using the example that something I want, so I buy it for her. Honey, there's a GPS. <laughs> Actually, I wanted it. But I'll use it in the meantime if you really don't want to. No, it's I want to know what works for her. I want to get to know her better so that I can give her what is helpful to her. And it's the same. We become sensitive to her needs and the people around you. And this is what I want to say. Is that we can only be sensitive to the Holy Spirit if we know what is helpful to Him. So that we know about the sensitivity of the Spirit, we enables us to be sensitive to Him. Does that make sense? So in other words, if I want to be helpful and sensitive to her needs, I need to know what her needs are. And it's not like God needs us in the sense of He cannot work without us, but the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit is very important. That's why this morning's message is simply being in harmony with the Holy Spirit. Being in harmony with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning as we just discover this together. He is, if God is the one, if the Holy Spirit is the one that God has given to be amongst us and in us, Surely we must be sensitive to Him in order for us to be led by Him. Correct? If one of the wonderful promises of Romans 8 says, you, sons and daughters of God, you can be led by Him. But we can only be led by one that we're sensitive to, to be led by. Are you with me? You've got to know what works for Him. What is His heartbeat? I cannot just ignore Him. And appreciate how he works. And I read this statement this, this week that really just spoke to me, and I mentioned it a little bit, but it says that unless we become aware of the sensitivity of the Spirit, we cannot be fully be sensitive to him. Unless we become aware of the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit, we cannot fully be sensitive to him. The man that wrote that is a guy called R.T. Kendall. And uh, earlier uh, this year, we screened one of his preachers during our video time when we couldn't meet. R.T. is a phenomenal Bible teacher, and I've followed him in some of these things over many years. But many years in Pretoria, when we were um, in and around that area in church and before we moved here, he did a preach where he said that there's one incredible symbol of Holy Spirit in the Bible that is helpful for us to understand how he functions. And he says it's this picture of him being like a dove. So Holy Spirit is not a dove, he's like a dove, okay? How does that how is that proven in the Bible? We read in Matthew, and you can read these up, where um Matthew 3:16 and John 1, verse 32 to 33, where Jesus, when he was baptized, God descended, Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove upon him and God's voice out of heaven. It's amazing in that one moment all three were present. God spoke from heaven. Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove upon Jesus, the three of them together. And so in that, this man R.T. Kendall relates the, the presence of God, the presence of Holy Spirit in our lives to that being like a dove. And he says a very interesting thing. He, he studied a little bit on, on the whole 
you know, understanding of what a dove is. He says a dove is an incredibly interesting bird. And there are various forms of doves and whatever else, but particularly the turtle dove. He says the turtle dove is a very sensitive bird. That you make a lot of noise around it, it leaves. It says in contrast, a pigeon would hang around people easily. You see that often in these, you know, big squares in cities where there are turtle doves around, people feed them, and they're all over them, isn't it? And so he uses this picture between a pigeon and a dove to illustrate to us how sensitive the Holy Spirit may be by just using that picture of a dove. And so he uses this contrast, and I'll just read to you some of them. He says, first of all, a pigeon, they fight with one another. So don't go and, you know, quote me on all of these things and basically now brought in a new theology about who the Holy Spirit is. Just a picture to help us understand how possibly Holy Spirit wants us to understand Him better. Okay? You with me? So it says this. A pigeon, they fight with one another. Doves, they're peaceful and they never fight. Pigeons are greedy. Opposite is true of a dove. They're not. Pigeons are noisy. Doves are quiet. Pigeons are very territorial. Pigeons are not. A pigeon can be trained. A dove cannot be trained. A pigeon, by the interesting, will have more than one mate. A dove says, a dove only have mates with one other dove. Pigeons aren't aggressive. Doves are not aggressive. Just generally, all right? So you may find differences. I'm not trying to bring in a... A, a strange teacher. I'm just saying that the deduction that we make from this is that when Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove, there's something about the dove that we need to perhaps understand to help us understand a little bit more about God, about Holy Spirit, that He is sensitive to stuff and that His presence is promised that He will never leave us nor forsake us. But there's something about the special indwelling presence of God that we often feel more than other times. He says, what happens in your heart can actually welcome me or push me away. And so when we say we've got to be led by the Spirit, but we've got to also become sensitive to His needs and understand that He is sensitive. That when I deliberately and willfully sin against him. He's not just going to be around and just, oh, I love that. He's affected by that. Whenever I speak something against you, Holy Spirit feels that. Because he lives within me. And he says, hey, that's not who I am. I don't like that. It's not that I don't like you, but I just don't appreciate your attitude. The amazing story in the Old Testament is that of, of Samson. Samson was filled by God and says God anointed him to lead. And God's anointing upon him or his presence, if we can call it that, upon Samson enabled him to be incredibly strong. You know the story of Samson. But there came a moment where Samson thought, I can do this. I don't need whatever I was told not to do. I can do it without God. And the moment he did what? He cut his hair. The, the word of God says the presence of God left him. And he was on his own. And in that moment, that's when they cut out his eyes and, and, and he went and eventually he had this one last plea. So God, in a sense, was still there, but his indwelling 
powerful presence had left him. And we know the story that last before um, Samson died and the people died with him, he had the whole um, building collapsed on himself and on the other people, the Philistines. The point is this, that something about God's presence that we cannot just take for granted. We've got to be sensitive to him. And there are things in our lives that can there are two words that we want to focus on, that can grieve and can quench him. So when we look at the Old Testament where, where specific sin and deliberate willful action against God said, well, I'm, I'm taking my presence from you. Saul did the same. Saul turned against God and his, God's presence left. In the New Testament, we find that two words are primarily used to help us sensitize ourselves to the presence of Holy Spirit in us. And that's the word grieve and quench. We've got to just look at those two quickly to help us understand how important it is for us today that we, that we recognize this. And, and the point is not to get into bondage of, oh, that I grieve the Spirit by wearing this shirt today. Maybe some of you don't like this shirt. That's fine. But I don't think Holy Spirit is perturbed by what we wear. Some people are, oh, you've got to ask Him the right, no, it's not that. Let's not get into a bondage thing of, should I have gone at 5 to 9 or 5 to 10 to the shops? And Holy Spirit, no, no, it's just don't become over, you know, over conscious of those little things. I think it's more internal stuff that He's concerned about. And this is what I want to just elaborate on and ask the question, if, if a dove is one way for us to see how sensitive Holy Spirit may be, we need to ask the question, not about a dove, but what grieves Holy Spirit? What grieves Him? Because the Bible is very clear, and you need to turn with me to Ephesians 4. And we're going to read about this. And in a sense, what Paul does here, he introduces us to maybe what could grieve Holy Spirit. And as, as, as we saw just what, how little noise and, and how little movement can, can disturb a dove in the natural, there are certain things I believe that is, has a saddening effect. It doesn't offend because God can't be offended, right? But it influences him. Because in Ephesians 4, Paul says this. Read with me in verse 30. Paul is saying, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed, by the way, for the day of redemption. Which means that Holy Spirit is not going to run away from you because you have been sealed. The moment you got born again, he promises you his presence. But he then also says, even if I'm with you, don't grieve me. Doesn't mean we have this free ticket just to do whatever we want to do. He says, be conscious of my presence. Because in a sense, I am like a dove. That if you just do your stuff, hey, I'm not, I don't appreciate that. So look at some of the things that could influence his presence in our lives. His, his um, special presence, if I may call it that. That indwelling awareness of him being with us. The first thing that comes up after that statement that Paul says is this in verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. So what, what grieves him mostly, it seems, in our, through our actions, is that word bitterness. So it's not the clothing you wear and the, 
what you do with your hair and what time you got up and where you stay and what car you drive. It's talking about inner stuff that nobody else can actually see, but it becomes evident because we're living outside of harmony. We're not being in harmony with Him. So our actions is like my bitterness is chasing away the dove. Do you understand? And so Paul, he starts with this incredibly important concept of bitterness. When we inwardly lose control, we lose the presence of his mind. We don't think like he wants us to think. It leads to wrath. It leads to anger. It leads to clamor and slander. And it says in verse 32, well, it says about talking, talking about malice. Verse 32 says, be kind to one another. So obviously the opposite of that is grievous to Holy Spirit. We've got to be tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And then it just carries on. And, and you know, then it goes into verse 3 of chapter 5. It talks about sexual immorality and, and all impurity of cov- or covetousness. Things that shouldn't be named amongst us. Like filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. Let there be thanksgiving rather. Don't be sexually immoral. You want to lose the tangible presence of God in your life? You start dealing with this stuff. I'm forever saved. I can do what I want to do. No. You chase away the dove. So sometimes we hear people say that, I don't know where God is. Just like my, my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. Maybe, friend, our lifestyle, the inner stuff that we are, are harboring inside you and the outer things that we do so grieves God that he says, hey, I'm still with you, but I'm not really there because I can't be. It's the only moment then in the Bible that we find that, that God leaves, well, in the New Testament, God left Jesus was that moment where he took all the sin of the world upon him because God and sin don't go together. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sin and God. Don't go together. Jesus was still the son of God. Didn't lose his identity. So when you and I sin, that's not God says, now you're condemned for life. Seal of redemption is still upon us. But the very presence of the Holy Spirit, because we, we're moving outside of sync. We're not sensitive to him. We're just doing our thing. See that? And so that's what grieving him can do. The second word that we want to talk about is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where it talks about us actually quenching him. Very simple word that just comes out of, almost randomly it appears, where Paul is kind of like finishing his letter to them. And he says in verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. That what quenching means, and if you really study the, the word of that or the meaning of the word, you find out that it actually is not to, in a sense, quench your thirst. That's one way of looking at the word quench. But this is quenching or extinguishing a fire. 
And we just sang that song, Fire Fall Down, which is really referring to Holy Spirit saying, Fire, Holy Spirit, won't you come and burn inside of me? Won't you come and burn the stuff away that shouldn't be there? Won't you come and burn through me? And what we then do if we quench, we say, no, let's put out the fire. The fire of God in me. The fire of God around us. When I see a brother on fire for the Lord and just all passionate about Jesus, like, that's a bit extreme. You're quenching. You're quenching. When we look at other churches and what God is doing, and, and then when we're like, oh, I don't know about that. It's not really my kind of tea. And if it's unbiblical, obviously it's different. But if God's working and there's something beautiful happening and, and there's just incredible stuff taking place and be- beautiful stories coming forth and we sit with, with jealousy in our hearts, we're quenching. We're quenching. If you know that God has called you to be a blessing to people, and you don't do that, you're quenching. Because something should come from us to, to, to affect others. If we just, no, it's not me. I'm not, I'm not that kind of a guy. I just can't do it. You're quenching. You're quenching. And we're more sensitive about our needs and, and what we prefer than what he wants. And so what we're actually saying we're making such an issue of his presence, and well, not, a, not an issue about his presence. We're actually denying him, and we're not recognizing him. When we're critical to the way he works, like Jonah in the Bible was. Remember Jonah? He went to Nineveh, and he preached the message, and, and they got saved, and he was miffed. He was upset. He was quenching the work of Holy Spirit in that city. He tried to. When we hinder him from doing what he could do through us, his gifts. And it says there, do not despise prophecies. So if God wants to use prophetic utterances amongst us and through us, and you're like, no, 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 it's not for me. You're quenching. You're extinguishing the fire. If you feel you need to go to Simon and say to him, Simon, I just want to say, God says he is in control. He will provide for you. Don't worry. Like, ah, what? Will Simon think of me? You're quenching. He wants to work through you. He wants to work in us. Do not reject him. When we suppress, this is a big one. When we suppress emotional expression about the glorious beauty of God, we read about it in the scripture. When people are so in awe, they're like, ah, there's extreme emotion that came. When we suppress that, we can quench the Spirit in us. When you become so aware of God's incredible beauty and you sing a song, it's like, yeah, I just want to get up and sing and shout, and, but I, I don't know, that's not me. <laughs> I want to say to you, and I lovingly say it to you, that you're quenching the Spirit. If there's something in you that's, that's bubbling and you, you, you know that you You shouldn't. You can't contain this. You want to express yourself. Don't quench the Spirit. Let Him flow through you. Come on. There's this beautiful example that I want us to close with. And I want to take you to the book of Luke. And this was something that just in my own devotion this week really struck me. And I believe God's speaking to me majorly from it. And I want to just share it with you because I think this is one of those moments. Remember what I said to you that when Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove, 
the scripture very clearly says in Matthew and in John that the Spirit of God came to remain on him. Now, didn't, Jesus didn't walk around with a dove on his shoulder the whole time, okay? So don't think like that. But just in that moment was a prophetic declaration made from heaven by God the Father that the Spirit of God will be upon him. And Jesus said, I mean, Paul writes and he says, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is now upon us. And so the Spirit of God was with Jesus. It helped Jesus. It spoke to Jesus. Or he spoke to Jesus. And so here we find a brilliant example of how Holy Spirit functions through Jesus. Luke chapter 22 is just before Jesus. He's going to be crucified. He's just been arrested. He's been taken away. And um, we find that in verse 54 of chapter 22, Peter is now going through his whole experience of denying Jesus. All right? It says that he followed Jesus at a distance. There's a message in that. But then he goes through these moments where he denies Jesus three times. And then listen to this. At the end of this, when the rooster crowed, crowed, the, th crowed the third time, it says in verse 61, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Jesus was close enough, or, Paul, or Peter was close enough in, in, in distance that Jesus could see him. So Jesus knows everything. He has just been denied by Peter as he foretold him that he will do. But in that moment, he turns to Peter and he looks at him. Look at what this look produced in the life of Peter. It reads on. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Verse 62, and he went out and wept bitterly. For me, I see two things happen in this whole moment in the history of uh, what Jesus came to do. I see a man called Judas recognizing that he had forsaken his God. And the, that guilt came upon him and he killed himself. He felt condemnation. And condemnation led to death. Peter sees the face of Jesus. Does he feel condemnation? Maybe in his flesh he would have. But the way in which Jesus looked at him led him to conviction, which kept him alive. So if we make this deduction that everything that Jesus did was spirit-inspired because the Spirit of God came to remain upon him, that look, that one look from Jesus at Peter, Knowing exactly what Peter did. Having warned him that he was going to do it. That look was not the stare that you and I have. Then maybe you don't have those stares. I was just chatting to somebody in the week about those stares. When you're in a company of people and, and your child is a little bit out of control. 
you know. You don't say a word, you know. There's that stare, isn't it? Imagine how you would have stared. Come on. You're about to be crucified. They've already started, you know, fooling around with you and, and cursing you and, and messing around. You know exactly what's coming. You know that one of your best friends you've warned and said, please, don't do this. Be aware of the fact that you, he does it. You know that he's just done it seconds ago. And you look at him. How will you look? What kind of a look will there be from me or from you towards such an individual? What will that look look like? Jesus' look, inspired by the Spirit of God, was a different kind of look. He looked in such a way that Peter felt absolutely convicted. And so, just some... I, I call them ungodly stares, is, is that look of resentment, a look of bitterness when somebody's name or somebody's face comes up in your life. I don't know if there are people like that currently in your life where you, something has happened, something went wrong. When their name comes up, when you see them, you have that look, you have that thought. And it's those very thoughts that Holy Spirit says grieves me. Because Paul's right, Paul writes in Ephesians, he says, do not grieve the Spirit. Therefore, what the things could be that grieves him will be bitterness, anger, wrath. So in that moment of great despair and great challenge where Jesus had all the reason, all the justification to say, Peter, I warned you, buddy. Come on. That would have been my response. And a few other words. He looks at him. And Peter is not condemned, ladies and gentlemen. Because if he was, he would have done the same as what Jesus did. Come on. So the way you and I allow Holy Spirit to work in us and through us as we are sensitive to him, as we recognize that my bitterness, my anger towards somebody could actually mean that the Spirit of God may just withdraw from me. Imagine Jesus in that very moment that he's in, feeling the Spirit of God withdrawing. He's on his own. But he's, he's led by the Spirit. He's led by Holy Spirit to, to look at Peter in such a way that it doesn't condemn Peter. A look of jealousy and a look of envy towards people can have the same effect. To grieve the Spirit of God. Another example of an ungodly state could be a look of judgment. I'm just throwing out these things because the whole aim of the being considered is to make sure that we stay in harmony with Holy Spirit. That we stay sensitive to Him. So if there's anything of this kind in our lives, deal with them. It's not just nice points to just think about. It is some that Holy Spirit can convict us this today and in, in after this moment that we will sit with Him and say, God, if there's anything of this nature in my life, please forgive me. I want to repent of it because I don't want to 
grieve you. A look of displeasure at somebody. I'm just not pleased. I'm just not pleased with them. Like often parents could do that with children. Just not good enough, my boy. Just not good enough. We grieve the Holy Spirit in that. A look of hatred, obviously. But sometimes we, we don't recognize what these things can do. It can grieve the Holy Spirit. And if we again bring that picture of the dove in, it's like the dove is chased away by this noise inside of our hearts. This bitterness within us. And His presence is still around, but that special presence of God. Like, man, I don't know what happened. I'll just, God, where are you? He's here, but it's different. A look of revenge. I'll get you back. I know what you've done. Your name comes up. I'll get you back. I'll make sure that you know that you don't mess with me. That grieves the Holy Spirit. It's not just that's a sin. Sometimes we're a little bit flippant about sin. That's why I'm trying to bring in a personal understanding of what sin does. It grieves the indwelt presence of God called Holy Spirit, who is a person. He can be grieved. What grieves him? These things inside of us that we harbor against one another. We have to, as Jesus did, allow Holy Spirit to control our looking. Jesus managed to look in such a way that it didn't condemn. So I want to just close and say, just ask ourselves the question, how is your looking? Is it done in such a way that it welcomes the presence of God or that it grieves Him? When you consider what God has called you to do and what He wants you to do, do you rather just quench him and say, no, no, you can't do it through me. It's not for me. It's not for, it's for other people. It's, you've not called me to these things. I want to encourage you to be in harmony with Holy Spirit. I encourage you to go and read Ephesians 4. Go and read 1 Thessalonians 5. And just see in there and say, God, there's anything that I am doing that is, that's grieving you, or quenching you in my life. Please forgive me. I want to be available. I want to be sensitive to you. I want to be in harmony to you. Is that okay?